0: Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. and so glad to be sharing this good news with you today. Uh, here's the thing. You're going to hear me talk about good news, good news, good news, but then some of the stories aren't necessarily great stories per se, but they're good news. Does that make any sense? I mean, Oftentimes, I, I, I'm going to think I'm going to probably wind up quoting Jalen Hurts more than Patrick Mahomes. I know the Super Bowl happened a couple weeks ago, but this is a guy who literally—I mean, if we would say in baseball world—pitched a near-perfect game. He uh, had not lost, maybe one loss in the playoffs or whatever. He was commandeering his team perfectly, ran when he needed to run, threw when he needed to throw. Uh, you know, did the passing. He, everything was fine. He was. He was their secret weapon. And then in the final couple of minutes, he wasn't. And he did have a fumble, I think, that was returned for a touchdown. But other than that, you know, after the game was over, this guy up until five minutes left in the game was going to be the MVP of the game. And then what happened? Well, you know, <laughs> Kansas City won. Holding penalty, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Kansas City won. And after the game, of course, he's asked, you know, what do you take away from this? He goes, well, if I don't learn something from this, I'm in big trouble. You know, I mean, that, that's the Roger paraphrase of that. But, you know, when we see situations happen, um, I think of Second Corinthians and Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh and three times he took it to the Lord to you know, pray for healing and deliverance and it didn't happen. Paul uh, kept getting the word back from God, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, this happened was with little John and the Chosen in season three. <clears throat> and there are, you know, there's so many stories in scripture about Jesus healing people that it kind of seems a little bit like we're getting ripped off when he doesn't, right? And yet, it's amazing to me how 50, 60 years ago, if someone had run into adversity as a Christian, I think they would hold up better than Christians typically do today. Here's what I mean by that. Ironically, the culture is less friendly toward Christians, but something tells me, too, that we may be a bit less resilient than Christians in days gone by. This hour, we're going to focus on that resilience. We're going to focus on standing up for your rights, but also taking a look at uh, you know, what is important for Christians who are being wronged, basically, in the culture, in the public square for our faith. Now, I like to say, I don't think we're being discriminated against. I don't, certainly don't believe we're being persecuted. We are being inconvenienced. There's no question about that. But we have to ask the question, um, you know, wh- what is it that we can do as Christians to stand up for our faith, but at the same time, you know, uh, let's do God's work, God's way, but also understanding, too, that, uh, you know, as Christians, we really don't have a big you know, problem, if you will, compared to what Christians in other countries are. I mean, you can scroll through the Christian headlines, Christian posts, any of these you know, voice of the martyrs, and you'll see story after story after story of pastors being burned and churches being destroyed and and uh, families on the run, Christians being executed for their faith. You know, and I, I think that it, it's interesting um, to see the number of people who are professing faith in Christ trying to go along to get along. And you see George Barna's research now that indicates the number of people who are more worldly than Christian. It's something like 37% of people who identify as Christian really do have more of a secular worldview and they believe in God as opposed to having a truly biblical worldview. Well, let me give you an example of how we can stand up for our faith in the public square, not be too jerky about it, and not be too uh, offended, shall we say. Um, The March for Life happened uh, back on uh, uh, January 21st, I believe it was they did it, 22nd was a Sunday. That's the anniversary of the fast Roe versus Wade, and so that's when pro-lifers have typically descended upon Washington, D.C. to show up and issue a support for life. Now this year, the 50th anniversary of uh, the passage of Roe versus Wade and the March for Life looked a heck of a lot different because, quite frankly, Roe versus Wade is no longer federal law. Of course, abortion is the law of the land when it comes to um, uh, so individual states, but it's a state's issue now, not a federal issue. And so it's really heating up now. The abortion-friendly states are really doubling down on wanting to have these draconian laws that literally allow a woman in some states to abort a child technically up to four weeks after the child was born. Meaning, if a child is, a woman tries to attempt a, an abortion, on a late-term abortion, the child survives the abortion, the doctor will not face any criminal charges for not treating the baby. In other words, they could just leave that baby to die for up to four weeks, and the doctor won't face any criminal charges. This is America? This is really happening? Yes, it is. So the March for Life, and you know the fact that we talk about preborn every day here on the Bottom Line Show is is so major right now. As a matter of fact, I, I, I want to issue a challenge to you here as we share this story. Um, a couple of parents have actually filed a lawsuit against the National Archives in Washington D.C. Because what happened was on January 20th, a group of uh, parents and their daughters and 30 members of a a class from a Catholic school came to D.C. for the March for Life and they were wearing pro-life hats, pro-life attire. So they wanted to visit the National Archives Museum in Washington, D.C. They had a group, you know, 40 people or so by the time they added all the parents in together and they were told that they would not be allowed to take the tour unless they removed or covered their attire because of the pro-life messages. Now, now the messages included, these were like hats that said, life is a human right, and buttons and t-shirts that said, life always wins. That was offensive to the security officers at the National Archives Museum. So when 30 students, plus a couple of parents and a couple of their daughters came along, probably, like I said, 40 or so total, wanted to get a private tour, they were told, if you don't cover up your stuff, you can't come in. Now, can you imagine... Set the Wayback Machine for six years ago, January 2017. Remember, there was Inauguration Day for President Trump, and then the day after was the Pink Hat Day. Remember the hats that were designed? They were knit hats, but they were designed to mimic a part of a woman's body. And we had Madonna and all these other luminaries out there saying, we should bomb the White House because Donald Trump's a fascist. I love that when people do that, by the way. I mean, just the, the, the irony is just so rich. There's a fascist dictator in the White House, so let's stage a coup to overthrow him. Wouldn't that make you a fascist? Yeah, you know, you get the idea. So on February 8th, the parents filed a lawsuit. They filed a suit against the security officers, and they uh, also filed a lawsuit against the National Archives Museum. They said in their suit that the security officers, quote, chilled their religious speech. Well, here's the good news part. Uh, The National Archives and Records Administration has now apologized for the incident. Uh, This past Tuesday, papers were filed in court to try to get the lawsuit dismissed. The museum has promised the plaintiffs a personal tour and, quote, a personal apology on that tour regarding events. Um, The NRA, NARA statement, National Archives and Records Administration statement says NARA policy expressly allows all visitors to wear T-shirts, hats, buttons, etc. that display protest language, including religious and political speech. And we are actively investigating to determine what exactly happened. Now, early indications are that our security officers quickly corrected their actions, and from that point forward, all visitors were permitted to enter our facility without needing to remove or cover their attire. We have reminded all of our security officers at our facilities across the country of the rights visitors have in this regard. Um, Check this out. In their statement to the media last Friday before the case was dismissed, They said that they apologized for the incident because um, the NARA is the, quote, home of the original Constitution of the Bill of Rights, which, you know, has that thing in it called the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. I mean, religious liberty is enshrined in the Constitution, which is actually enshrined in the National Archives and Records Administration building Where the very people who wanted to tour wearing life wins hats were told, chill. I'm very grateful that we are living in a time right now where these types of conversations are coming up. But remember, it wasn't that long ago that the shoe was on the other proverbial foot. We had a civil rights movement that was brewing here in the United States that was, I mean, it had reached a boiling point. Oh, sure, the Emancipation Proclamation had been declared on uh, January 1st, 1863. Uh, by Juneteenth, 1865, June 19th, 1865, every slave now knew that they had been freed. And then the next 99 years of segregation and reconstruction and Jim Crow laws made it look a little bit better, but not a whole lot. And for many African-Americans, by the time the 60s and early 70s rolled around, He had to ask the question, where is the trust? Where is the love? Can you imagine the incidences of uh, depression and anxiety and things of that nature that were running through the community? Well, it was a much different time, but fortunately things are improving largely due to the efforts of men like Dr. Gary Chapman and Dr. Clarence Shuler. They have a very unlikely friendship that arose during that time when Gary Chapman, if you can imagine this, with a hot young youth pastor, and Clarence Schuler was a middle schooler who, with his buddies, uh, were invited to a church event where Gary was speaking one night. Now, as you can imagine, Clarence and his friend were African-American. Everybody else in that church was white. And what came out of that first event, that first gathering, has resulted in a brand new book by Dr. Clarence Schuler. Yes, I said Dr. Clarence Schuler. Dr. Clarence Schuler and Dr. Gary Chapman are embracing the issue of uh, racial reconciliation, but now Dr. Clarence Schuler is also taking on depression, anxiety, the dark places in life. Well, Clarence Schuller has written an outstanding book about his journey through depression. It's called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. There's a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. We're devoting the rest of the hour to my conversation with Dr. Clarence Shuler. It starts next as The Bottom Line continues.
1: This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 20th. 25th. It's going to be at the Gem Theater. They're going to have free popcorn, free sodas, and free hot dogs. It's a fun location. It's a fun place to go and take you back in time. But really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now. And so when do you start thinking about retirement? Well, you better start thinking about it now. And, and so this will get you ahead of the ball, get you ahead of the curve. We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, It's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future.
0: Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, a, a powerful conversation, a new resource dealing with an issue that is plaguing a lot of people in the church, and that's depression, loneliness, and anxiety. Joining me is a very special guest. You've heard his name mentioned often here on this program, but we've never actually had a chance to have him on the program. Dr. Clarence Schuler is my guest. He's the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. He co-authored a book with Dr. Gary Chapman not too long ago called Life-Changing cross cultural Friendships, How You Can Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. And now he's the author of this brand new book called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Dr. Clarence Shuler, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
2: Hey, Roger. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I was going to ask you how you know Gary, but then I remembered, wait, Gary was on here talking about the other book, and he shared the story briefly, but let's get your perspective for just a few moments before we get into the heaviness. You and Gary Chapman have been friends for, what, 50 years now? Uh, 55 years. Wow. Wow. How, talk about what the, your first meeting was like with him, because obviously it left an impression on both of you.
2: Well, I met him in 1968, uh, thanks were still very segregated in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and one of my buddies, I guess he was cute, and some girls invited him to their
0: church, which was white church. <laughs> and, and by the uh, way, before you go, before we go any further, isn't that always the way? I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard some. Hey, what's your story about coming to faith in Christ? And a guy will say, "Well, there was this girl." And yeah. So, I mean, that's that's classic. I'm glad to know that hasn't changed in fifty five years. But please continue. Well,
2: so anyway, these girls invited him to the church. Since it was an all white church, we had to get permission from our parents to go. Because allegedly at that time of uh, that particular denomination were bombing black churches. So there was huh. a real concern about us. And there was an unwritten rule that as a black, if you're going to a white function, you never went by yourself. So right. my friend was really short. He was only four feet seven. I was much taller. I was four feet eight. And so <laughs> uh, I was his bodyguard. We walked into huh. this church about a hundred was a gym. And so like a hundred white kids and us, and I was just there because they had a gym and because basketball mm-hmm. was my God before I became a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I went to the basketball court and Gary Chapman came over and said, introduced himself, which kind of surprised me because some of the adults were kind of nervous, but he was not. He said, hey, I'm Gary Chapman. I'm the youth pastor. I'm so glad you're here. Um, if you have a good time, hey, I'd love for you to come back. And that... Um, that kind of blew my my mind a little bit because whites were pretty much your enemy at that point in time. I mean, right. you know, so that was, that's how we met. And two years later, he introduced me to Christ. And then a year later he started discipling me and we've been together ever since.
0: Wow. That's such an, an amazing story. And thank you for sharing, especially the part that for those who like to see progress being made in race relations and, you know, cross-cultural relationships, to realize that it was only within both of our collective lifetimes that you guys had to deal with that type of fear. And me growing up as a West Coast kid, Southern California, that thought never would have crossed my mind. And the fact that you shared that, I really appreciate you uh, doing so in a way that's very, you know, it's authentic, it's very real. And the fact that uh, there are still people who are dealing with tensions in life that um, have aren't necessarily resolved, and I think apart from Christ can't be resolved. Mm-hmm. And so now, boy, Clarence, I mean, you talk about the the work that you have been called to do for dealing with the cross-cultural relationship issue to then really taking a swing at a topic that has, I think, really been exacerbated during the pandemic, but it's kind of been bubbling under for a while, this idea of loneliness and depression and anxiety and things like that. Talk about what the genesis was to lead you and Dr. Matt, uh, Monique Gatzinger to write this book in the first
2: place? Well, um, well, it was just part of that is, sort a of continuation of my relationship with Gary or my adventure into the Christian. Of course, I didn't know anything about conservative evangelicals, uh, but um, there's a lot of racial tension there. So a lot of times I've been the first African-American to work for different organizations. And just my experience there, because some say that the black male is the cause of all social ills. Mm. And when you're the only one in the house and the first one in the house, uh, you get a lot of arrows. You know, you get shot a lot and try to survive that and keep your your mind. And then my wife had a hard time because she said, this is a Christian organization. It can't be as bad as you're saying it is. So it was really tough uh, during that time. And so I've had different experiences but then my last big shot was when we were, I was talking to a Christian organization that wanted to hire me for diversity consulting. And we're talking, it was a multi billion dollar company. And uh, did I say multi billion dollar? And it anyway, it was just a lot of money. It. And so, I mean, I'm looking at really, in a sense, validating myself by how much money I was going to make. And I could have mm. re- worked for a couple of years. And then they seemed to like everything, everything seemed to be going well. And then 10 days later, um, I get a call we're going a different direction i just went as deep as ever gone to depression because i finally mm. thought hey i made it i uh mm-hmm. i'm you know whatever and so dr monique i call her dr mo uh she was from my prayer warriors so she read my newsletter where i just very vaguely mentioned i was disappointed and didn't go through blah 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 but she picks up on that because she's a counselor mm-hmm. and says you want to talk about it and i said no <laughs> do i need to talk about it yes do i want to no yeah Yeah, so i so i I pray about it and god says you need a counselor Mm. well i counsel people so i said why don't you counsel me he was silent and i knew he was silent Mm. i needed to i needed help so i called her back and said hey if that offer is still there uh i need some help i'm really raw um i'm not going to necessarily use profanity but I'm, i'm in pretty bad shape so if you want to help me um i need help you know here it is and she was very gracious and began to help me okay. and uh and Roger she made this one statement she said you know when you're in a dark place you know God's with you in that dark place so your dark place could be a holy place and that was really mm. pretty profound mm-hmm. because I was so self-absorbed in my hurt I wasn't thinking about God being with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy that's powerful. I'm talking with Dr. Clarence Schuler today here on the bottom line his brand new book is very raw it's very authentic If you have experienced any of what you're going to hear about in this title, this is a book for you. It's called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Clarence, I can't imagine. I mean, it would be tough enough to get to a point in your professional life where you hit that pinnacle where you think is going to be, I'm at the top of the ladder, and it's a faith-based company, and it's multi-billion, and I've got this great opportunity, and then to have them say we're going in a different direction and that can mean so many more different things perhaps to someone with your background than to someone with my background um help us understand that part of the equation if you will because i mean i i I appreciate you saying i i got to try to describe this without using profanity because i mean literally i mean i would imagine that when you're in that dark place there are all sorts of triggers that go off in terms of what happened there that led you to the darkness talk about that if you would well, you know,
2: for me, in my experience as a black American, the only place I really experienced equality pretty much is on the basketball court. And when mm-hmm. I've had that, I've excelled. You know, I've got mm-hmm. a scholarship to play basketball, traveled overseas, even had an offer to play a tryout for an NBA team. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: that was really neat. When you figure out I'm five, you know, seven, that was pretty, pretty significant. But Calvin it, Murphy,
0: let's do it. Come on. yeah. You know? Hey, I'm impressed with Calvin
2: Murphy. That's impressive. Oh, yeah. I liked yeah. him. He was one of my models. But mm. anyway, so my initial thing was here I go again and, and a white Christian person is controlling my destiny. Mm. And I was short-sighted because I should have said, good or bad, God is allowing this to happen. Right. And so I need to learn from this. But I, I wasn't looking that far up. And so I was just really uh, struggling. And so uh, Monique was really good and in forcing me in some ways very gently, but to read stuff. Uh, she would ask me questions. I didn't want to answer, but the neat thing about the depression was it forced me to see what was eating away at my vigor, my vitality and my voice. And to begin to work on that. So, so in a short, very short message, I got to know me better. I got to learn Mm -hmm. me better, which was really quite a gift. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it was difficult and I had to, um, just kind of work through it, uh, and I ha- and I was functional because I still had to pay the bills and take care of my family, so I couldn't just stop and go away for a month or so. And so my wife said she didn't even know I was depressed for a while because she said you just kept working. Well, that's what men do. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's what I did. That- that's kind of how I tried to survive.
0: Well, that's that's a very powerful eye-opening statement from Dr. Clarence Schuler today here on the bottom line. And if you or someone you know is experiencing those types of, uh, well, symptoms, if you will, you um, not everybody who's a hardworking person with a big smile on their faces has got you know all, all things together and isn't dealing with some kind of depression or anxiety and Clarence is very candidly and authentically sharing with us about his struggle uh, he writes about it in a brand new book called finding Hope in a dark place facing loneliness, depression and anxiety with the power of grace we have a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com as we continue we'll talk about finding hope and and things like the the idea of how do you get unstuck from this i would imagine some people you know wind up getting into a depressed state or you know that darkness that clarence writes about and they have a hard time getting both feet out of the hole we'll talk about how clarence got unstuck coming up next as the bottom line continues Powerful conversation today here on this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Clarence Schuler is my guest. Dr. Schuler and his lifelong friend, Dr. Gary Chapman, wrote a book that came out last year about establishing uh, cross-cultural relationships, and they tell about their story in the book of that same title. Clarence now has written a book called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace, We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a book he co-authored with his therapist, Dr. Mo, uh, Monique Gadson. Dr. Mo, as we've re- been referring to her here. We have a couple copies of this book. This is the good news angle of it. it says, if you know someone who's struggling with depression, anxiety, um, loneliness, I mean, this is a great resource. And we've got two of them that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I should point out, in addition, we've got some tickets to give away, too. Not only to the Dennis Wilson movie, but also Bill Gaither is coming to Southern California. Uh, March 17th, 18th, and 19th, he'll be in Costa Mesa at Calvary Chapel. He'll be in uh, uh, in Pasadena at uh, uh, Lake Avenue Congregational and more. We've got a pair of tickets for that concert to give away, too. So when you call in... Uh, ask for your pair of Bill Gaither tickets or your Dr. Clarence Schuler book. Lots of things for you to win today here on this Good News Friday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book you're asking for is by Dr. Clarence Schuler, my guest today here on the program. Finding hope in a dark place, facing loneliness, depression, and anxiety with the power of grace. It's his own story but it's got a lot of research in it. And of course, his therapist, Dr. Monique Gadson, is the co-author of this book. You will benefit from reading it. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Dr. Clarence Schuler on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of twenty-eight dollars to preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is fifteen thousand dollars. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do two hundred and fifty ultrasounds per year and Dr. Clarence Schuler is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Barnes. The book is called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Clarence Schuler is the president, CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. Talk about what that ministry entails, because you mentioned before the break that there was a point where you were working kind of in corporate Christian America and ascending to some pretty high leadership positions. So, I mean, for you to kind of strike out on your own, I guess, or is is BLR something that you were with from the beginning?
2: Well, I know it came as a result of working with Christian organizations, being the first one in the house. If you're not a visionary, uh, you can be there the rest of your life. But research shows if you're a visionary and you're African-American male, that you're only going to last in particularly a white Christian organization about three years. So I would use there about three years and then we would part ways, have a sometimes mutually beneficial parting of ways. And so uh, when I left the organization, I asked my wife, was she okay if I just started my own ministry? Because I said, every time I work for these other places, it just didn't work out well. Right. And a common denominator seems to be me, so I guess I don't play well with others. So uh, <laughs> so she let me do that, and we started out. And since 1999, we've been doing this. Wow. And BLR, Building Lasting Relationships, um, we primarily do marriage, uh, mostly in the U.S., but we do go overseas quite a bit. I mean, we've been invited to return to uh, Ukraine. We mm-hmm. were there in 2019 and scheduled to go back in April at their request. So uh, we do a lot of stuff in regards to that. I do stuff for singles, which is really one of my favorite conferences, Um, fathering and uh, just just kind of whatever. I'm starting now to work with some pro athletes, NBA and NFL, just helping with marriage. Sometimes I do premarital counseling for them or whatever. And then I I help a lot of Christians who have had affairs to uh, have uh, not just restore their marriage because I don't want to send them back to what they were doing but to make no marriage better it's ever been. So that's kind of what I do with building relationships. Great. It's all a discipleship. It's just different kind of venues to help me do that. But that's what it
0: really is. All right. Well, we've got a link up at bottomlineshow.com for that information as we continue our conversation about Clarence's book, which is really interesting, Dr. Schuler. It's a kind of a memoir, but it's also kind of a, an action point. I mean, which I appreciate the fact that you, uh, was it Jalen Hurt said after the Super Bowl, you know, if I don't learn something from this, then that's on me. I mean, that's yeah. my paraphrase yeah. of it, uh, to get that close and then not be able to do it. But you talk about finding hope when you're in that dark place. The, the The mind can play tricks on you. And one of the things that some people have a hard time with, anyone who's ever experienced loss has to go through a grieving period, but you delineate in the book that there is a difference between grieving and depression. Talk about that if you would.
2: Well, grieving um, for a lot of individuals, and this is not disrespectful, but it tends to be relatively short term. Mm -hmm. And then you start working through If you lost someone at a funeral, if you're sort of okay, then you you miss them, you honor them, you grieve for them, whatever that grieving process is. But typically, you know, you're going to, you start going back to your natural routine. You still think about them and stuff like that. A depression is really a long-term deal where you're kind of, you need help and you're not getting better. And so typically that's, that's sort of, it's, it's kind of a general thing, but in Dr. Monique talks about it in, in the book, but it's kind—that's of, sort of a simplified version of that, and so it's, it's just prolonged grieving, typically with no sense of hope. Uh, it's kind with of depression. It's typically looked at.
0: Mm. You know, it's interesting when I think about depression and knowing people in my family I Have some family members who've dealt with some pretty major clinical depression. I did ministry with actually with a couple husband and wife where um, the wife had a major depression to the point where if she wasn't on some kind of medication, mm-hmm. she'd be in bed for a week. I mean, just could not function. She was a great teacher when she was right there. Right. But you mentioned earlier about remembering that when you're in that dark place, God's with you. How I mean, what happens, though, if you've got these voices in your head, if you will, the enemy basically telling you, oh, no, he's not. I mean, where did you for you, Clarence Shuler, where did you in that counseling point finally get to the place where you could say, "Okay, I realize now the difference between the positive influence and the negative influence. And I can I can delineate which one I'm going to listen to.
2: Well, well, you just said it. I mean, you hear both voices and sometimes there's a third voice and your third voice can be very similar to the enemy's voice. And then you hear God's voice. And it's like one is telling you there's hope there, you know, don't give up, you know, there's sourcing it with the word, there's help with that. And then the other said, what's the use? I've been trying is not successful. And so it really depends on which one you're processing that. Um, And so that that voice, which one you choose is one typically what you're going to do. In the Native American culture, they talk about two wolves Mm -hmm. and that the wolf Mm -hmm. you listen to at the end is be the ones you're going to follow. And so for me, I'd read the Bible quite a few times, but I don't know if you're like me, Roger, but sometimes when you're going through stuff, you read the Bible and you run to a verse you've never seen before, or you don't remember seeing. (laughs) So for me, it was Isaiah 45, three, and it says this, and this is from the new living translation. It says, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. Uh, I would do this so that you may know that I'm the Lord, your God, the God of Israel who calls you by name. Well, when I read that verse, uh, and it felt like the first time, it says, wait a minute, there are hidden treasures in the darkness? Because a lot of times, theologically, we think of darkness as evil. Right. But darkness does not necessarily mean evil. Sometimes it can just mean chaos, and or there, where there's no light. And so it meant that to me, I interpret this meaning that if there are secret riches and treasures, I may need to unearth that. And I'm going to unearth it in a dark place, So Roger, if you said to me, Clarence, how are you doing? I might, I'm free to say I'm doing okay. I'm not great, but I'm struggling. But also if God's in the dark place, if they're hidden treasures in a dark place, I don't have to rush out of the dark place. Mm. I don't have to fake being fine. Mm -hmm. And that takes some pressure off because I didn't recall the scripture seeing what God was concerned about my emotions. And here it's like, it's okay if I'm jacked up or a little bit up normal because God's with me in that place while I'm working through this process.
0: Hmm. Boy, someone needed to hear that. I mean, besides me, because I love the way you described it, Clarence Shuler, the idea that that jacked up stage is okay if as long as you realize God is with you, you know because uh, as a, a wise counselor a friend of mine used to say, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is "It came to pass," because that means it didn't come to stay, right? You know, <laughs> and if, it's kind of I a like clever, that. kind of a clever turn of the phrase, but it's just a good—it's a good reminder. As we're talking yes. about Dr. Clarence Schuller's new book called "Finding Hope in a Dark Place: Finding Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace," that we've got a link for the book up at the Bottom show.com. I mean, basically you have to figure out, it sounds like you're. this is the, the process you went through, Clarence Schuler. that at some point, whether all the lights are on you and everything's great, or God has you in a dark place and it's just you and him, you kind of have to make peace with how he made you, the gifts yeah. he gave you, the situation he yeah. put you in. I mean, you you say, hey, you have to learn how to like you. Talk- is, is, yeah, exactly. Talk, yeah, talk about that, if you would. Well, here, here's the deal. I, I, I'm so
2: good at preaching to other people, but I have to talk to myself, too. But in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, when God is the Trinity and God the Father says, let's make some humans. Well, he's omniscient, so he knows we're going to mess up. He knows Adam and Eve going to mess up, but he makes us anyway. So what that means is that the God of all creation wanted us, period, knowing we're going to be imperfect. Then it says three times in two verses, and from 26 to 27, that we're made in his image. Well, I, I translate that to DNA. Well, if we have God's DNA, that means we have value, we have purpose, and we have a godly destiny. And then some Hebrew scholars say, verse 28, when it says, he blessed them, they said it meant wow, and I, which I really like. And that means every time he looks at you and me, God goes wow, because he mm. sees a reflection of himself because we have his DNA. And so that was beginning to help me think about self-worth, not self-worship. And that began mm. to sort of turn the tide, too. Yeah. And I do have some value, even though it's God-given, there's some value here. And so, it, you know, and, and you would ask about divorces, you know, Satan's voice is short-term, uh, temporary pleasure, immediate pleasure, but he doesn't tell you long-term consequences. And so, scripturally, that God often allows us to go through suffering before he gives us promotion, because in the suffering, he's cleansing us so we can handle the promotion. But sometimes it's painful going through the cleansing. He says that when you were tried by fire and stuff like that. But and so, but where I was emotionally, uh, this stuff was starting to speak to me. And, w- and just hearing that God loved me, that he wanted me, that I have value and the self-worth piece, it, it began to slowly sink into my head, mm. into my it- heart.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and the two being intertwined. I mean, that's where the soul is connecting, and that's where you experience the beginning of healing and that kind of okayedness, if you will, that you've been describing. Dr. Claire Chuler, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, his book is called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, one of the aspects that is plaguing a lot of people with regard to loneliness, depression, and anxiety is whether or not... Uh, life is worth living. And on hmm. the other side of this break, I want to get into this with Dr. Clarence Schuler. We'll give you a little warning here in advance that uh, if this is a sensitive issue for you, you may want to go to the podcast and, and listen to this at a time when it's a, a little bit uh, easier to process. But we're going to talk about uh, the increase in the number of people who are considering ending their lives and what happens at the depression state and what Clarence has learned about how people who do face that have been able to overcome it and survive it. We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues. Dr. Clarence Shuler is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Clarence Shuler is featured prominently in a book that we talked to Dr. Gary Chapman about uh, called Life Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, How You Can Heal Help Heal Racial Divides One Relationship at a Time. Uh, we've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com where it chronicles uh, Dr. Gary Chapman's friendship and mentorship with da- Dr. Clarence Shuler. Do you suspect, Clarence, that you would not have doctor in front of your name if you'd never met Gary Chapman?
2: That's a good possibility. Yes, yeah. that's a good possibility.
0: Yeah, I, I I love hearing your story because I think it, I mean, from the cultural, you know, ramifications, but also from the some girl asked your buddy and you had to go kind of be his wingman, you know, in more ways than one. I mean, to where, that you know, Gary and the mentoring that, that all happened. And he shared some really powerful stories about how when it's, started for him to become a real friendship and things that he had never considered before, you know, as a white pastor, you know, dealing with what you guys were dealing with in the African-American community. And the fact that you're still good friends even to this day is a, a testament to the fact that you're a great guy, not him but you're a great guy and that's the only reason this relationship works right <laughs> I, I like, I like
2: you roger i like
0: yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> gary, gary is such a he's such a champion. he's such a wonderful band he's one of the kindest people i've ever interviewed and so i i couldn't resist but not take a swipe at him while he's not okay. here but that's that's <laughs> okay. okay please don't tell him if 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 he asked if he said that my name is frank sontag okay, okay. um let, okay, sure. let's let's, let's and now i'm going to have frank coming after me um okay. Let's talk about one of the big issues that you deal with in the book, finding hope in a dark place. And that is depression, anxiety, loneliness, and the number of people who are Mm -hmm. contemplating saying it's just too much pain. I can't handle it anymore. You do have a chapter in the book about people who are considering suicide. What was your desire? I mean, it's a very sensational topic. It's really real for some people. I shared with you during the break, a close family member of mine actually considered this at one point and, um, And it would be comfortable with me sharing because God's delivered her from it now. But uh, talk about why it's important to actually have that conversation when you're dealing with this topic.
2: Well, one, I considered, very strongly considered suicide um, before I became a Christian. I had a great family. Uh, I was a great athlete, at least in my own mind. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of things happening, but there was an emptiness inside that I couldn't really process or handle. And that was really my need for Christ. And so, uh, but before then, I really thought about suicide. Uh, I I think to talk about depression and not talk about suicide would not, the book would be incomplete. Hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are considering uh, suicide. You know, it's interesting as African-Americans become more American. um, Our younger generations are really considering suicide, which is you know, there's an uptick in young African-American males, 18 and older, uh, committing suicide, which before we would never take our own life in, in, mm-hmm. our, in our culture. Uh, but what I do to the person who is contemplating death by suicide, I try and just shower them with love in the chapter. And most people consider suicide, it's like hurting part of your body. You're only focused on a that part that's hurting, but there are parts of your body. And so what I try and get them to consider is that who they're leaving behind. And that more people love them more than they realize that they're leaving behind. Even that person can't communicate the love in a way they'd like to feel love. And so I talk about what happens to those people that leave behind, how so many marriages end in divorce, uh, how many parents, if they don't divorce, their health goes down because you don't get over it, you know, and stuff like that. And you work, and so it's just a lot of blame shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are devastated. Uh, and then we found out too that. A lot of people who are considering suicide, death by suicide really want someone to talk to them. And so we're trying to book to encourage them to, hey, if someone you know does not feel well or seem just ask them how they're doing and really listen because a lot most people according to research who are considering suicide, death by suicide want someone to talk to them. They don't necessarily really want to do that. So mm-hmm. it's just a book to try and educate people, try and love them. I try and talk to the person who's thinking about it, but also those around them, how to come around them and not necessarily fix them, but come around them and listen to them. Uh, we even used, I think Viola Davis, the actress uh, shared some points by her friend that I thought were really relevant points of how just to listen, how to come and just sit and say nothing that can really be important and just your presence. So it's, uh, you know, and it was funny because one of the editors, for the book, uh, she said, no, you can't really talk about suicide. you talk about it? It's going cause more people to want to commit suicide. And it's just the opposite. Mm-hmm, and that was mm-hmm. sort of her ignorance, not really knowing that. And it's unintentional because she has someone in her family who had, uh, right. Either considered suicide or actually done the suicide. So she was really fearful, but then Dr. Monique, because she's licensed and understands they had to explain to her it's just the opposite. So, uh, that's why we write and talk about suicide. Uh, we just really try to be sensitive to everyone who may be dealing with depression, loneliness, or anxiety in some form or fashion.
0: One of the ways that you write about Dr. Clarence Schuler in this book, Finding Hope in Dar- a Dark Place, is the need to find good, and you also mentioned effective, counseling. Uh, how did you find Dr. Mo?
2: Well, actually, through the grace of God, she found me. She reached okay. out to me. And because we were friends before. Mm -hmm. And so she, she read me and picked up on that. But what's really neat. If you read the book, well, you, you've seen it, you know, in there, there's a text, you know, trail us going back and forth. And that's over a period of a year or more. And so I I encourage people to find a good biblical counselor, one who would give them homework one they would listen to one who listens to them and, and uh, somebody doesn't beat them up, but also, wants to work themselves out of a job and help them work through that process without rushing. And so and so we tell them sort of how to interview a counselor in that whole process, as well as, you know, find one. So someone they can click with, someone they resonate with, and uh, someone they trust. So it's really important to have a really good counselor. Dr. Monique uh, was just outstanding for me and helped me in, in the process.
0: I think that's wonderful to hear. And I love that phrase. I'm going to borrow that from you. You want someone who's going to work themselves out of a job. Yeah, um, That's, you know, the last thing you need is someone who says, oh, you're going to need three, four or five years of this, yeah. you know, and uh, I got a good steady customer here, but to, to help you out. Um, Dr. Clarence Schuler, the book, Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression and Anxiety with the Power of Grace is up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, as we wrap things up here, I want to give you a chance to talk about the ways that we in the body of Christ can help, whether it's your community of people, your family, your friends, or maybe even in the church. I get the sense, and, I, and I've and i talked to people who've gone through a depression before, not to the point of suicide, but a depression, and in art counseling, you know, without betraying a trust, they said, you know, I talked to my my pastor about how depressed I was, and he said, well, you should take a few moments every day and listen to your favorite song. Or read a book or do so it was very almost superficial. It was never really getting to the root. How can we in the body of Christ, whether it's the community of believers around us or the church on the whole, do a more effective job in helping people who are wandering through this season of being in the dark place with God?
2: Well, just one thing I, I almost got two things. If they're considering death by suicide, realize that a lot of times if they just wait long enough, things change and typically get better. Okay. Uh, one father who was in a really bad marriage for 20 some years. I'm not advocating divorce, but end up the wife divorced him. And he's so glad that she did. Uh, And he had a son and he said he came out of it and he lived to see his son get married. And he said things are different. And so he's so glad. So things would typically change. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, can you repeat that question? I'm I'm so sorry.
0: Well, that's okay, because we were talking about, and this is one of the ways that you know you you mention the the community can help rather oh, than coming okay. up with pat answers, but rather to say, hey, look, you know, for someone who's in that message, and that's something we in the church can communicate too. Is you know, if if you can hang in there long enough, I mean, in terms of you know, watch, I mean, the things are going to change. I mean, things have the potential to change, not always, but no, that's just what that. But that's just one way, you know, where we can look at it realistically and say, in his case. It took a divorce and getting out of a bad marriage to help him get to a better mental and emotional state.
2: Well, you know the thing is, I was we were speaking to two thousand people this past weekend at a marriage conference, my wife and I, and I was, and this pastor of a very large church came up to me and said, "Hey, I really resonate with some of the stuff you said." And we're talking, he says, "Would you come to my church?" Said, blah blah blah. He said, "What are some things you'd like to talk about?" So well, I really like to talk about depression, because I said in a lot of churches. It's not being addressed from the pulpit and people don't really know. And he he looked at me, he said, wow, I've been really successful. We have a mega, mega church, you know, he says, but I've never talked about depression to my congregation. I said, well, Mm. and I said, but there are a lot of young guys, particularly not women too, who are battling, thinking about suicide. And I said, we need to stay and talk to your teens. Can we do that? He said, yeah, let's get you at the church and boom, boom, boom. And I said, we also need to talk to the men so they can talk to the teenage boys and Began to give them hope. So he said, wow. And so in seminary, they don't teach us how to deal with depression. You know, they don't we don't have classes dealing with that. And so they may be doing it now, but not when I was there. So I think the church, unfortunately, is a little bit behind the world, like it tends to be in a lot of other things. But if you look at television, if you look at you know media, they're really talking about mental health. our uh, two NBA players, young guys, African-American guys came out and talked about their battles with depression and going to a counselor. So I think the church has to step up and say, hey, I don't know anything about this, but let's get some Christian counselors in here. Let's talk. Let's, some are hiring on staff. Dr. Monique has actually been on the church staff as a counselor. Mm-hmm. So I think churches need to look at that. But even pastors are struggling with loneliness, the Superman complex, all those things. So I'm counseling pastors. So it's a So I'm glad you asked the question, but the church needs to really revisit this and, uh, and I need help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a powerful conversation and uh, the first of several I'm hoping that we'll have with Dr. Clarence Shuler on a variety of different topics, but boy, you found a great way to come right out of the chute and kind of hit us right where we live with a great exhortation from scripture about depression and anxiety. Dr. Clarence Shuler, the book is called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Finding Lo- Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Clarence Shuler, great to meet you, brother, and thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line.
2: Well, roger thanks so much for having me i really appreciate that and i'm going to talk to gary chapman about you
0: what a powerful conversation what an even more impressive resource the book by dr clarence Schuler and dr monique gadson is called finding hope in a dark place facing loneliness depression and anxiety with the power of grace we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have two copies of the book to give away right now 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Some final thoughts on this most important topic that's coming up next as the bottom line
3: continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Culver will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now. At 877 214 4935. That's 877 214 4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at KBrightRadio.com/Slash coverlaw Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side.
0: My thanks again to Dr. Clarence Schuler for a fascinating half-hour conversation about his brand new book called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression and Anxiety with the Power of Grace, co-authored with his therapist and therapist friend, Dr. Monique Gadson. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com if you or someone you know is wrestling with any of the things I just mentioned. We have two copies of this book we're giving away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And don't forget, I mentioned this last uh, half hour. I'll mention it again now. Uh, We have Bill Gaither and his band are coming to Southern California um, on March 17th, 18th, and 19th. We are super excited. Friday night, the 17th of March at Lake Avenue Congregational Church in Pasadena. Saturday, Saturday. March 18th, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Big Calvary, and Sunday night, uh, the 19th of March, at Shadow Mountain Church, Dr. David Jeremiah's church in San Diego. We've got a couple pairs of tickets to give away for each of these shows, so I want to give you a little heads up right now. We'll give away one pair each for each of these days, one pair for Friday night show, one Saturday, and one for Sunday. 800-227-5278, and know that when you call, Friday is Lake Avenue, Pasadena. Saturday, Big Calvary in Costa Mesa. Sunday, Shadow Mountain in San Diego. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More Good News Friday stories coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshall. Welcome back. If you're a regular recurring listener, we have heard from so many people of late and have heard from so many people of late who say, I've been listening to you for a long time, but it's the first time I've called in or the first time I've sent you an email or something like that. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I encourage you to give us a call. One of the best ways, most direct ways, is through email. Uh, which is not a phone call, obviously. Uh, you can just write to go to the and you can find the link there to send us an email and offer your suggestions. Of course, every time someone calls the program for a giveaway, uh, when we give something away, um, then we ask you a couple of questions like you know basically, I mean, some basic information, you know what city are you in? How long you've been listening? Uh, what do you like about the program? What, do you, what would you like to see improve? Uh, we will ask you a, an age range. But we're not going to ask you when your birthday is or anything like that. We just like to find out who, who is listening to the program. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, there are you know there are rating services that give you just generic numbers of people who listen and that type of stuff. But we want to get to know you. It's a it's a relationship. And everyone who does win something from the bottom line show, uh, you get more than just the resource. We send you a nice little uh, you know information packet, a program guide, things like that. So if you have feedback. Uh, give us a call or uh, just drop us a line. You can always call our toll-free number 800-227-5278 and give that information there, or just drop us a line at dot com. couple of good news stories to share that are just kind of a sign of the times. Um, earlier this week, if you did not get a chance to hear my conversation with Brandon Showalter uh, with the Christian Post, um, he that's, it should be up at myhopenow.com as well. Brandon has kind of become the de facto, you know, by default, um, spokesman for parents and grandparents who have kids and grandkids who are being influenced by the culture to change genders. I remember here in the People's Republic of California, it was about uh, maybe a decade ago, uh, the 2012 election cycle and was invited to speak at a Republican group at uh, La Cunada, Flintridge, I think. And there was a woman who came up and she she had aspirations to run for superintendent of schools. And um, superintendent of public instruction is the official title. And we were talking about California's Senate Bill 48. SB 48 was a bill that California legislators passed about 10, 15 years ago that basically was requiring that all textbooks in the California public school system be reworked, basically redone, so that they would include the contributions of people in the LGBTQ community. And I remember talking with her, she came up to me at the event, introduced herself, and we were uh, shaking hands and everything. She'd been a kindergarten teacher prior to her political aspirations. And I said, isn't this nuts? I mean, think of the millions of dollars that are going to be spent reprinting all the educational books Because somebody has a bee in their bonnet, burr in their saddle, if they will, about um, whether or not uh, the early California settlers were, you know, the the leadership of the state were gay. Or, you know, I mean, there's that legend of Abe Lincoln when he was president at one point traveling across country and, and he shared a hotel room with another man one time and um and, and so of course the tongue started wagging well you know that must mean that he had a homosexual lover well you know or maybe that's just how people travel in 1850 and you know you <laughs> you're trying to save money on a room there's two beds in the room you go ahead and do it that way i mean that it's gotten to this point and i remember that when i realized the tide had turned this was back in 1998 was in Dallas for the Christian Booksellers Convention, uh, traveling with a couple of people from the company I worked for, Ambassador Advertising at the time. And uh, there was a woman and two of us guys. And so in an interest to be cost-effective, since all of the money that we took in at Ambassador came from ministries. We produced their media programs and stuff. And so we were very mindful of the fact that even though we were a for-profit business, we were paid with donated funds. And so Um, What we did is whenever we traveled, if there were guys traveling, you know, the the guys would double up on rooms. And if there were ladies traveling together, they they would double up on rooms too. And so in this case, there was one woman and two guys. And so we were, you know, doubled up. And we came downstairs to the concierge. We were looking for a place to uh, uh, get some groceries or something like that, because we're going to be there for a couple of days. And so the concierge sent my colleague and I to a supermarket that wasn't necessarily close to the area. But we went and we were shopping. And um, we were there uh, with the three of us doing some grocery shopping. And we were getting kind of weird looks from people. And <laughs> I don't know why I thought of this story. We, so we bought our groceries and back to the room. Later that night, my buddy, who my roommate for the evening, uh, was on the phone with his brother who lived in that area. And all of a sudden, I heard Dan on the phone with Phil, my colleague. And I hear this laughter. I mean, you know, I'm in the other end of the room, like ironing a shirt or something. And I hear this uproarious laughter. And it's his brother. And Phil's kind of looking at me nervously like, what happened? And after he got off the phone, he had a good chuckle too. And he says, you'll never guess what Dan just told me. He said, what? And he goes, well, we, the reason we had to go out of our way to go to that supermarket was the guy downstairs thought we were a couple. And that's the place where the gay people <laughs> go hang out. And we just, we had a good chuckle, but I mean, it was kind of a nervous laugh. This is 1998. It was 25 years ago. And how the culture now has gone from the, it's the well-kept secret to it's all out in the open. It it can be rather frustrating. It could be rather daunting, you know, to look at the culture as it is and ask the question, well, you know, what do we do to fight back? I don't know if you've been following this story that we've been following here for the uh, past couple of years, but in the state of Connecticut, for example, um, there are some girls who are literally fighting back against the uh, Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference. Uh, What's been happening in Connecticut is a number of girls, we talk about the LGBTQ lobby, you know, going from that whisper, whisper, hush, hush behind the scenes to out in the open. The Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference uh, back in 2020 decided that they would be amenable to allowing boys who were born male but were in the process of transitioning to female to compete in CIAC athletics. And it's interesting because when you take a look at the success record of the boys who compete against girls, you don't always see this in the females who try to transition to male. But when you see the male transitioning to female, whether it's at the high school level or the college level, statistically, the men who become women do better. They they, they have a better success rate. Uh, who is the, the guy, William Thomas, at the University of Pennsylvania, who calls himself Leah, grew out his hair, uh, I think is taking some hormones, but still has not had reassignment surgery, uh, was an average swimmer on the men's team at Penn. And then he went to the women's side and became an Ivy League champion. Um, there are some athletes in the uh, high school realm that did the same thing in Connecticut. And and a group of girls, this is interesting, a group of girls who had been state-level champions wound up uh, not even qualifying for the finals in the state meet because of the fact that there were a couple of men, biological males, who were running in the girls' race. And so uh, Selena Soley, uh, Chelsea Mitchell, Ashley Nicoletti, and Alana Smith, along with their parents, retained the services of Alliance Defending Freedom, and filed a lawsuit against the Connecticut International uh, Interscholastic Athletic Conference. They said, basically, this is not fair. I mean, and then and then they came with. We were talking about this uh, last week. They came with receipts. They came with records. They said, look, here's how fast the girls ran in whatever races that they ran. Uh, before the boys showed up and here's how the boys you know basically pushed them out of the way i mean if you think about it if you are the fastest runner on your school team and you compete against the other fastest runners on your school team in your conference and then you go against everybody else in the state meet and you're the fastest one or you're to- in the top three that's really an accomplishment but if you're running say the 100 meter dash and i i'll be honest with you i don't know what a girl high school girls time is let's say it's 12 seconds and high school boys time is 11 it's probably faster than that but high school boys time is 11 even the guy who finishes third or fourth or fifth on his team if he decides to run against the girls statistically and this is taking nothing away from athletic ability and athletic prowess and everything statistically the boys are going to run faster than the girls and that was in fact the case in Connecticut So these four girls who said, look, last year we were in the top eight. We were were running for state championship, but this year we couldn't even get into the finals. And the reason why is you see two or three of these guys show up and they've grown their hair out or they're wearing wigs and they're taking some hormones. So it looks like they're developing, but they're still biologically male. They filed a lawsuit in 2020 that said this isn't right. You can't have... Boys competing against girls, men competing against women. It's just not fair. Well, in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, um, they basically took a look at the case this past December and they said, now we're going to dismiss it. There's no merit here. Um, you know, the, the C- Connecticut uh, Interscholastic Eth- Association Conference um, has done their due diligence and everything's fine. So that was the three-judge uh, panel that heard this. Now, on a state Supreme Court or a Court of Appeals, there's always the three court, uh, three justice court, and then there's the full court. And the question is, um, can we get what they call an en banc hearing, where you get and say, okay, look, these three said no, they dismissed the case, but we're going to appeal, and we want the whole court to hear it. We want to hear from every justice. Well, the good news is, There's been a positive outcome in this case, and that's what we're pushing for. So on the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at the good news out of Connecticut. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues.
1: This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 25th. It's going to be at the gym theater they're going to have free popcorn free sodas and free hot dogs it's a fun location it's a fun place to go and take you back in time but really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now and so when do you start thinking about retirement well you better start thinking about it now and and so this will get you ahead of the ball get you ahead of the curve We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, it's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future.
0: Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news out of Connecticut. And good news for people who are dealing with this whole issue of transgenderism. And you know, again, please understand, my position, I believe this is the position the church should take, is if someone is dealing with gender dysphoria, if someone has feelings that for some reason they were, you know, they're, they're born into a masculine body, but they're really female or the other way around, I would never tell anybody that your feelings are wrong. I learned that from my friend Joe Dallas, who does a lot of work in the LGBT community with people who have unwanted same-sex attraction, for example, and come to him for counseling. He said, look, if somebody said to me, I'm in a gay relationship and I love it, Joe would never tell that person, you're wrong. I mean, lovingly, they'd try to point out the correction, but they wouldn't say, well, I'll get in here, I need to fix you. But if somebody does come up and say, hey, look, I've got gender dysphoria. I, you know, I've th- I think of Laura uh, Beth Perry, who's now Laura Perry Smaltz who said for about nine years, she was convinced that she, born Laura, was actually a guy called Jake, and she took testosterone and lived as a man for nine years. And then God spoke to her and said, no, I made you Laura, and now she is a happily married stepmom, and she's a wife, and she had a great wedding day last May, and it's a wonderful story of redemption. But there's, there's a couple components here. It's really easy for us to say, get those boys out of girl sports. And I believe the boys should be out of girl girl sports. But the question is, how do we present the story? In this case, four young ladies, uh, I mentioned their names, Selena Sol, Chelsea Mitchell, Ashley Nicoletti, and Alana Smith, along with their parents, contacted Alliance Defending Freedom. They filed a lawsuit against the Connecticut interscholastic athletic conference back in 2020 saying look it's not fair we could show you statistically how well each of these girls did in their track and field events and now how they can't even get into the finals competition because these guys are here if you take the guys out and it's the girls against the girls our girls would have a chance but this is not fair we're being denied equal access they took it to the second circuit court of appeals and the second circuit court initially what they'll do is they'll get a three judge panel that takes a look at it and they decide whether or not this is a case the three judge panel voted to dismiss so after the uh the announcement that it was uh it was going to be dismissed it was very interesting because they took a poll of the judges who were on the court and the majority of them said hey wait a minute this should actually be something that we hear And so Alliance Defending Freedom filed a challenge to the appeal, an appeal to the decision, and last week we found out that they are victorious. Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel Christina Kiefer uh, said in a statement that she believes every female athlete, quote, deserves access to fair competition. Quoting her here, we are pleased that the Second Circuit has decided to rehear this important case, and we urge the Court to protect women's athletic opportunities. Every woman deserves the respect and dignity that comes with having an equal opportunity to excel and win in athletics, and Alliance Defending Freedom remains committed to protecting the future of women's sports. It was uh, U.S. District Judge Robert Chatney who dismissed the lawsuit officially in April 2021, uh, his conclusion was, quote, courts across the country have consistently held that Title IX requires schools to hear treats transgender students consistent with their gender identity. So then last December, a three-judge appellate panel ruled against the plaintiffs. Uh, Chief, uh, excuse me, Circuit Judge Denny Chin uh, wrote the panel opinion. Basically, <laughs> this is the way they tried to get out of this. They said that the lawsuit was moot because all four girls have already graduated from high school. You've got to love progressives who will do this type of thing. You know, it's that whole mentality, thief breaks into your home, ransacks the place, gets several hundred thousand dollars worth of valuables, slips and falls on his way out the door, and then files a lawsuit against the homeowner because he broke his ankle. Pay no attention to the fact that he tried to rob his family for half a million dollars. And the, same, the idea, the audacity that this judge would rule this way simply because, well, it's a moot point now because they're not there. That's not the point. They're not trying to get back. They, they lost the opportunity, Your Honor. You have to understand that. They lost the opportunity. And Alliance Defending Freedom is fighting for their dignity now. They're fighting for principle. They're fighting for what is right. And they will have their day in court. So keep these girls in your prayers in Connecticut, and also uh, keep our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom in your prayers as well. I I encourage you, I mean, today, these four girls could be your kids or grandkids. And there's going to come a point where you're going to need this. I have a 12-year-old granddaughter, five-year-old grandson, and almost two-year-old granddaughter now, and a four-month-old grandson who's going on 10. And these types of decisions that the courts are making are impacting them. That's why I support Alliance Defending Freedom, and I encourage you to do the same. When you go to CrawfordMediagroup.net, there's a banner there. Give a donation of $50. Uh, Give a donation of $10 for every child and every grandchild you have. Like in our family, that'd be an easy $100 tax-deductible donation. If it's easier, call Alliance Defending Freedom at 877-367-6461, 877-367-6461 and make a donation as well. I encourage you to do that because that is, it's vitally important. Well, the courts are taking up for kids in this transgender issue, but what are states doing? Why is it that so many states like the People's Republic of California and People's Republic of Colorado and People's Republic of Michigan are all saying, hey, if your kid is transgender and wants to have the surgery, bring him here because we won't let the other parent know. We won't let either, the kids can come here on their own if you want to. And now more and more transgender advocates are stepping up and saying, wait a minute, this shouldn't be happening to kids. I mean, if someone's 25, 30 years of age and they say, hey, I got to make the transition, that's a whole lot different than a confused 10, 11, 12-year-old or a four or five-year-old. I mean, in the, in the movie uh, Dead Name documentary, there's a story of a four-year-old boy who likes to play with dolls and likes to have colored hair. And his preschool teacher decided that he was actually a girl and started the transition at school, unbeknownst to mom and dad. For That's child abuse. One Midwestern state is actually doing something about it. One of our neighbor states, as a matter of fact. And as we continue, we're going to talk about who exactly is doing what they're doing and why this is so important. Which state just recently signed a ban on sex change surgeries and puberty blockers for kids? We'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 2229 Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is at it again. In a good way. You know, it's interesting. Nikki Haley announced, uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley announced her candidacy for the 2024 GOP nomination last week. Uh, Governor Christy Nome has also been uh, listed as a possible uh, candidate as well. In all honesty, I love the way South Dakota has been handling things under Christy Noem's leadership. Uh, state of just under a million people. Um 66 counties. Can you believe it? South Dakota has 66 counties. California has 58. Go figure. Um, yeah, it shows you how local government is a lot different. I mean, in a state of 900,000 people, there's 66 counties, whereas in the People's Republic of California, a state of 39 million people um, have 58. So you can see how some government officials can get some big heads. But Christy Nome is running a smaller state than Nikki Haley did when Nikki was the uh, governor of South uh, South Carolina. But I, more often than not, I'll say 90% of the time when I see Kristi Noem's name in a headline, it's because she has authored something that is valuable, that she signed an executive order or a piece of legislation that I find very admirable. And uh, she just signed in a bill that passed through the State House and the State Senate of uh, the state of South Dakota, uh, House Bill 1080. It, that's the official docket number the bill has been referred to as the Help Not Harm Bill. And this past Monday, she signed it into law. Uh, it got overwhelming support in the state legislature. Basically, what it does is it bans sex change surgeries and it prevents children from being uh, exposed to experimental puberty blockers uh, because of the fact that these can have irreversible uh, effects on and, and create chemical castration, among other things. When I had Brandon Showalter on uh, the program recently to talk about the dead name movie, and dead name, of course, is a reference to people in the uh, transgender community. If a boy is transitioning to girl, male to female, and you refer to that person by their former name, they refer to, that's, the process is called dead naming. But isn't it interesting that there would be legislation saying you can't dead name somebody who's transgender But as our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom have proven with their lawsuit against the FDA, there are so many things that are happening in the medical world right now that you just automatically assume, well, if they're issuing puberty blockers like Lupron, which stops the flow of uh, testosterone uh, through the prostate, young boys get that right before they start puberty, and what happens? All of a sudden, then they start introducing estrogen, and the thought is that literally you could play mad scientist and turn this boy into a girl before he hits puberty. There's no FDA approval for using Lupron for that purpose. Lupron was designed as a drug to be used for men who are experiencing prostate cancer, and it's a treatment for prostate cancer. It's a temporary block of the flow of testosterone. So the radiation and chemo can go through and kill the cancer in the prostate. Once the chemo's done, you stop the Lupron. You let the testosterone flow again and everything heals up normally. There's no FDA approval for using Lupron to turn a boy into a girl. But it gets done all the time as a matter of fact from what i understand and what i've read the american medical association does not have any formalized set standardized tested and approved procedure for a transgender surgery and yet the nut job left in our culture progressives are saying well if this boy feels like it's a girl where were we gender affirming care gender affirming care that can mutilate this child Literally, I mean, you're telling a boy who wants to become a girl, well, you can become a mother once you become a girl, not realizing that they have basically shut down their entire system of everything and no artificial womb in the world is going to help that boy who became a girl conceive. So thank you for the adults who serve in the state house and state senate of the state of South Dakota who passed House Bill 1080, from what I understand, overwhelming support for this and then for Governor Christy Nome for signing this bill and not vetoing it. South Dakota, no sex change surgeries, no experimental puberty blockers for kids and teens. Now, the next step has to be, has to be, if you're not going to allow the medical profession to chemically and surgically alter these children, where is the counseling for these kids? Remember, I mean, you, it, that was a somewhat rhetorical question because remember in the let's stop gay conversion therapy bans that were popping up all over the place about a decade ago? Those bills came booby trapped with provisions in there that said it was illegal to give any kind of counsel to a child who was struggling with gender dysphoria, whether it be homosexuality, same sex attraction, transgenderism. The, you could lose your license, you could go to jail. If you gave biblical counsel that said, by the way, you don't have to have these feelings. We can help you through counseling. Major study out of Finland came out last week that said, hey, the vast majority of kids who experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria when they're going through puberty, and these are, I'm quoting the the report, outgrow it. Terry Schilling is the uh, president of the APP. Who was behind this and said, you know what, what happens here, this is just insane. The transgender industry's assault on young children is literally appalling. And we are grateful to see that, uh, well, of course, the ACLU in South Dakota says you can't do that. But the good news is there are some adults who are willing to protect kids and protect their innocence and to fight for it. Remember, the whole goal of childhood is to grow up to be a responsible adult but to maintain a childlike faith, a childlike innocence. Not childish, but childlike. There are some adults who are still willing to fight for kids. Would that we count ourselves in that number. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.